75 of the Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography addiction or compulsive sexual behavior, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. And very quickly, please visit tonyoverbay.com and sign up now to be the first on the list to learn more about some upcoming programs that I'm working on in the areas of parenting, communication, marriage, and more. And uh, I think I can start to lay the groundwork down for there is a, a book project I've been working on um, that uh, is going to see the light of day, hopefully in the not too distant future. I can't wait to talk more about that. That is going to hopefully um, help people out. And uh, please stop by the Virtual Couch YouTube channel and subscribe. Many of the videos of previous guest interviews are up there, and you can follow me either on Twitter at CouchVirtual or Tony Overbay, and on Instagram at Virtual Couch. And uh, hey, I mentioned this last time, the Virtual Couch has been nominated for a People's Choice Award in the health category of the 13th Annual Podcast Awards. And I've had a few folks ask me um, how the voting goes, if they can vote. Um, But unfortunately, the answer is no. The decision is now in the hands of a panel, a panel, if they happen to be listening, who I have heard some of the, they're some of the smartest, kindest, most empathetic people in the world. People some say who exude goodness from the very core, a panel full of folks who will help old people across the street, who rescue kittens out of trees, and who I am sure will unbiasedly vote for the best podcast in the health category and may the best podcast win. Uh, I also want to encourage anybody who is dealing with any type of betrayal trauma to please visit bloomforwomen.com. Betrayal trauma is very real, and the symptoms are very similar to those of PTSD. And the people who have designed the bloomforwomen.com site, as well as all the content on that content on that site, have now they have years and years of research under their belts. And I really do want to assure you that there is help. So I've personally done an extensive amount of training in the field of betrayal trauma. So if you're experiencing the betrayal of a spouse for an affair, from an emotional affair, or if you've recently discovered that your partner may have a pornography addiction um, or uh, compulsive sexual behavior, please stop by bloomforwomen.com and use the coupon code virtualcouch, all one word, for one month um, free to their evidence-based programs, uh, information, their entire community of support that is 100% designed to help you grow and heal. Again, that's bloomforwomen.com. And if you've been with me through all 75 episodes, plus a bonus episode or two, and you happen to shave any body part, head, face, legs, arms, chest, or the top of your feet, your toes, anywhere, male or female, I would encourage you to check out eliesextracts.com, E-L-I-S-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S.com. Eli's Extracts is an all-natural organic shave cream scented with essential oils. It smells so incredible that uh, there now are multiple people that apparently are maybe kind of thinking about trying it on toast, and I would not recommend that. But elis-extracts.com, use coupon code virtualcouch, all one word, for 25% off your entire order of their incredible soothing, healing, shave creams. All right, let's get to the topic today. There has been so much positive feedback around the concept of ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy. This is another one of these soapbox um, items of mine that I just, I this is what I use in my daily therapy practice. I was a cognitive behavioral therapist for years and I have nothing against CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, but once I discovered, I went to my first training on acceptance and commitment therapy, I just, I loved it. And uh, now I use it pretty much extensively and it has just helped um, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of clients that I've worked with. That sounded uh, like a lot of clients, but hundreds and hundreds at least with the uh, acceptance and commitment therapy model. And I use the acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT 
in inter, interspersed with the recovery work I do, the addiction recovery work I do in the EFT, the emotionally focused therapy, the couples work that I do, because it is so strength-based and powerful. So if you listen to a previous podcast that I've done on ACT, um, or maybe even stop right now and go listen to that if you want a quick ACT or acceptance and commitment therapy primer. But uh, in, a, in a nutshell, acceptance and commitment therapy, why I love it is that we, we all have thoughts and feelings, emotions, all of these things. We have them because we're human and we have them because of all of the things that bring us to the point in life that we are in now. How we were raised, where we lived, did we have uh, two parents in the home or one, where, what, what was our birth order, um, where did we experience any kind of abuse or trauma or all of the things that we bring to the table right now. That That is what makes us human, and that is why we have the thoughts and feelings and emotions that we do. So right out of the gate, what I love about that is there is not a shame piece to that of I shouldn't be feeling the way that I do. We feel the way we do. We're human. That's the way it works. So the challenge with ACT is that we identify those thoughts, feelings, emotions. We kind of normalize them. Um, we can do a little bit of work around where they come from. But the reality is we look at those and now, in essence, what do we do with those? Are these are these productive thoughts or are they not productive thoughts? And so we do some work around identifying kind of our core values or principles or goals. And then if a thought does not match up or is not in line with that, that core thought, belief, or goal, then we use some nice mindfulness techniques to move it on through because there are plenty of thoughts coming behind that. So that's just the quick primer. There's so much more that uh, I could say about that. But so one of the things I wanted to bring up is in my some of my initial sessions, some of the first sessions that I do, um, I will do this exercise. And I'm going to pull from a book um, called Act Made Easy. And this is by Act Made Simple. This is by Russ Harris. And Russ Harris, uh, I'm a big fan of his. I want to get him on the podcast at some point. He wrote the book, The Happiness Trap, which is my very favorite book about acceptance and commitment therapy. And he also wrote one called The Confidence Gap. And I'm going to talk a little bit about from The Confidence Gap today. But this first one is an excerpt from Act Made Simple by Russ Harris. So what, what he calls this is the act in a nutshell metaphor. So I think back when I did the Guilt and Shame podcast, I had to do a little bit of acting and it was not um, some of my finest work. So there's a little bit of that going on today. We're going we're gonna to go through um, a therapist-client interaction. So oftentimes, kind of toward the, the first part of, uh, of an initial session, um, I like to, depending on what I'm working with, I like to explain a little bit more about ACT to my clients. And so there are situations where I think it helps to kind of throw a metaphor out there so somebody can really recognize where we're headed with, with ACT. So um, let me let me do this. And you can actually find Russ Harris has a free YouTube video of exactly what I'm about to talk about uh, on, well, on YouTube. Uh, that's the YouTube video part. <laughs> My bad. Um, and I'll try to put a link to that in the show notes. But here we go. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a play. The, I will be playing the role of therapist and client, and I will not be changing my voice. I'll call those out by therapist and client. So here we go. So first session, the therapist says, it's hard to explain what ACT is about simply by describing it, and it probably wouldn't make much sense even if I tried. So would it be okay if I showed you what it's about by using a metaphor? To which the client says, sure. Therapist, great. So the therapist picks up a clipboard or a large hardback book and shows it to the client. Um, I actually don't use a clipboard. I've got an iPad that I take notes on, and I never want to do this experience with an iPad, so sometimes I'll grab a book. So you grab a large uh, hardback book or clipboard and shows it to the client. Okay, therapist says, I want you to imagine that this clipboard represents all the difficult thoughts and feelings and memories that you've been struggling with for so long. And I mean, just think about that. Now I'm kind of going off the script here a little bit. That it, all the thoughts, feelings, and memories, the things that have, that have caused you to feel stuck. 
and I'd like you to take a hold of it and grip it as tightly as you can so I can't pull it away from you. So the client grips it tightly. Let's say the clipboard for the sake of argument. The client grips the clipboard. Now I'd like you to hold it up in front of your face so you can't see me anymore and bring it up so close to your face that it's almost touching your nose. So the client holds the clipboard directly in front of his or her face, blocking their view of both the therapist and the surrounding room. Therapist says, now what's it like trying to have a conversation with me while you're all caught up in your thoughts and your feelings? Client says, very difficult. Therapist says, do you feel connected with me? Do you feel engaged with me? Are you able to read the expressions on my face? If I were doing a song and dance routine right now, would you be able to see it? Client, hopefully chuckling, says no. Therapist, and what's your view of the room like while you're all caught up in this stuff? Client, I can't say anything except the clipboard that's right in front of me. Therapist, so while you're completely absorbed in all this stuff, you're missing out on a lot. You're disconnected from the world around you and you're disconnected from me. Notice too that while you're holding on tightly to this stuff, you can't do the things that make your life work. Check it out and uh, grip the clipboard as tightly as you possibly can. Client tightens their grip. Now, if I asked you to cuddle a baby or hug the person you love or drive a car or cook dinner or type on a computer while you're holding on tightly to this, could you do it? Client says no. So while you're all caught up in this stuff, not only do you lose contact with the world around you and disconnect from your relationships, but you also become incapable of doing the things that make your life work. Client, hopefully at this point, is nodding and says, okay. So the therapist, is it all right if I just drag my chair across so I'm sitting beside you? There's something else I want to demonstrate here. Client says, sure. Therapist pulls his chair alongside that of the client. Can I have the clipboard back for a moment? Therapist takes the clipboard back. Um, Can I check? You don't have any neck or shoulder problems, do you? Client says, no. Therapist, okay. I'm just checking because this involves a bit of a physical exertion. And I got to lie. I got to lie. Is that a Freudian slip? Um, I'm not lying. I have to be honest. Um, I've never done this part, but I will oftentimes describe this part. So what I'd like you to do is place both your hands flat on one side of the clipboard here, and I'm going to put my hands on the other side, and I'd like you to push the clipboard away from you. Push firmly, but don't push so hard that you knock me over. As the client tries to push the clipboard away, the therapist pushes back. The harder the client pushes, the more the therapist leans into it. And just keep pushing. You don't like this stuff, right? You don't like these thoughts and feelings, so push as hard as you can. Try to make them go away. Push against these feelings. And the therapist maintains the struggle so that the client keeps pushing while the therapist pushes back. So here you are trying very hard to push away all these painful thoughts and feelings, and you've been doing this for years, and are they going anywhere? Sure, you can keep them at arm's length, but what's the cost to you? Um, How does it feel in your shoulders? Client chuckling, not too bad, actually. It's a good workout. Therapist pushing harder. Okay, it's fine for now, but we've only been going a few seconds. How will you be feeling after a whole day of this? Client says, I'd be pretty tired. Therapist still pushing clipboard back and forth with the client. And if I asked you now to type on a computer or drive a car or cuddle a baby or hug somebody you love while you're doing this, could you do it? Client, no. Uh, Therapist, and what's it like trying to have a conversation with me while you're doing this? Client, very distracting. Therapist, do you feel a bit closed in or cut off? And to which the client says, yes. I think you can see where we're headed here. Um, The therapist now stops resisting, eases off the pressure, takes the clipboard back. The therapist, okay, now let's try something else. Is it okay if I just place the clipboard on your lap and we just let it sit there? Client nods. Therapist places clipboard on the client's lap. Now, isn't that a lot uh, less effort? How are your shoulders now? Client, a lot better. Therapist drags his chair back across the room. Therapist, notice now that you're free to invest your energy in doing something constructive. If I asked you now to cook a meal or play the piano or cuddle a baby or hug somebody you love, now could you do it? Client chuckling, yes. Therapist, and what's it like to have a conversation with me now as opposed to doing this? Mime's pushing away the clipboard. Or Mime's holding the clipboard up in front of his face. Client, feels easier. Therapist, do you feel more engaged with me? Can you read my face now? Client, yes. Therapist, notice too, you now have a clear view of the room around you. You can take it all in. 
And if I started doing a song and dance routine, you'd be able to see it. Client smiles, yes. Gestures down to the clipboard, but it's still here. I don't want it. So here's where we get to the good stuff, right? The therapist, absolutely, it's still there. And of course, you don't want it. Who would want all these painful thoughts and feelings? But notice, now this stuff is having much less impact on you. I'm sure in the ideal world, you'd like to do this. Therapist mimes throwing the clipboard on the floor. But here's the thing. You've been trying to do that for years. So let's do a brief recap in this situation. You've tried drugs or alcohol, self-help books, therapy, withdrawing from the world, lying in bed, avoiding challenging situations, beating yourself up. Blaming your parents, distracting yourself, rehashing the past, trying to figure out why you're like this, being busy, doing self-development courses, and lots of other things too. Um, So nobody can call you lazy, and you clearly put in a lot of time and effort and money into trying to get rid of all these thoughts and feelings, and yet despite all of that effort, they are still here. They're showing up. They're here today. So some of the things you do make this stuff go away for a short while, but soon it comes back. And isn't it the case that now it gets bigger and heavier than it was all those years ago when you first started struggling with this stuff, these thoughts, these emotions, these memories. So there are now more painful feelings and thoughts and memories here than there were five years ago. So uh, therapist says, even though this is what every instinct in your body tells you to do, mimes throwing the clipboard on the floor, that strategy clearly isn't having the effect you want. It's really just making things worse. So why don't we do a lot more of what, uh, why would we do more of what doesn't work, right? So here's what ACT is all about. We're going to learn some skills called mindfulness that will enable you to handle painful thoughts and feelings far more effectively in such a way that they have much less impact and influence over you. So instead of doing this, picking up the clipboard, holding it in front of his face, or this, mimes pushing the clipboard away, you can do this, drops the clipboard into his lap and lets go of it. Again, not throwing it on the floor. And notice this not only allows you to become connected with the world around you and to engage in what you're doing, but it also frees you up to take effective action. When you're no longer struggling with this stuff or absorbed in it or holding onto it, you are free. So now you can put your energy into doing the things that improve your quality of life, like hugging people or riding your bike or playing the guitar. How does that sound to you? Client says, okay, and they smile. Now, obviously, it does not go that smoothly all the time. Um, when does therapy ever go as smoothly as in the textbooks? I loved in graduate school where we'd always do a always, there's an always statement. We would often do an, a, a role play. And at the end of the role play, everyone was happy. Everybody was going to individual therapy and family therapy and couples therapy. And they all lived happily ever after. So the reason why I really enjoy that, um, that metaphor, that act in a nutshell metaphor is because just think of that concept of how, how often are we hanging on? What's, what's on our clipboard? What are we hanging on to? And what do we throw up in front of our face and focus so much on that, that we are unable to engage in the things around us or, or not able to, to do the work. Maybe if we do go to therapy or if we do buy a self-help book, or if we do go to some seminar, we're still holding this clipboard in front of us and saying, you know, I can't see what's in front of me. I can't put this thing down. I can't let go of these thoughts or emotions or feelings because what's the fear there that if you do let go of these things, the fear is now what if I don't succeed? Then I can't continue to hang on to these things that I believe are holding me back. So, so what is, what is just kind of uh, pretty, pretty amazing here is that we're really talking about thoughts, all you know, these thoughts. I mean, there's actually a little bit more. Um, now I'm going to turn over to the book called The Confidence Gap, again, by Russ Harrison. And so, you know, whenever we think about trying to do something different, when we want to get outside of our comfort zone in any in a variety of things, there's this voice inside of our head that maybe will tell us, you know, you're going to fail or you don't have what it takes or you'll mess this up or you'll get rejected or it could go horribly wrong. You're not ready for it. Better put it off until later. Uh, or, or maybe it's, you know, you've tried that. You've tried that before. All of these things 
All of these things are, the, you know, these voices inside of our head. And for some people, it's not even just the voices inside of our head. It's more like, um, you know, they, they feel, I remember the term kittens in their stomach or, you know, churning stomach, clenched teeth, tight throat, pounding heart, restless legs, tense muscles, tight chest, uh, difficulty breathing, dry mouth, sweaty hands, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, Russ Harris calls it either, is it lack of confidence? Is it fear of failure? That's one that I've been stuck on for a while. Is it anxiety or nerves or tension? It all boils down to a few different elements, which... Um, psychologists call private experiences. And I love this concept too. Think about that. Private experiences because they're experiences that only you know about. And, and that that is where, you know, I jump back into my world of, hey, how about we don't uh, just guilt and shame everybody around us because we don't know what their private experiences are. Again, private experiences are part of what acceptance and commitment therapy is about because we all come to the table with our own things, our own baggage, our own experiences. So, then all of these things that we're struggling with, they are our private experiences because they're experiences that only you know about. Now, the most common private experiences that the human brain and uh, nervous system emit are, and actually follows that acronym E-M-I-T-S, emits, are these. E is for emotions. M is for memories. I is for images. T is for thoughts. And S is for sensations. So normally when somebody's talking about a lack of whatever, self-confidence or the, again, my favorite, fear of failure, they are referring to something from one of these categories of emits, emotions, memories, images, thoughts, sensations. So if we just quickly run those down, emotions such as fear or anxiety, memories of past failures or mistakes, um, I, the images, mental pictures of things going badly, whether they have gone or, or we're kind of looking at a crystal ball and thinking here's what will happen, or thoughts about failure or disaster, doing something wrong, not being good enough or even giving up. Or then those sensations that some people feel, the racing heart, the dry mouth, the, the kittens in your stomach. So in Russ Harris's book, The Confidence Gap, he kind of lumps all the private experiences into two categories, either um, memories, which are the thoughts, uh, memories, thoughts, and images he just refers to as thoughts. And then emotions and sensations he calls feelings. And then he just kind of goes with thoughts and feelings for the rest of the book. But what I want to talk a little bit more about today, and, uh, and I'll kind of get through this quickly, is just that concept again about thoughts. Um, it's amazing what a, how a thought can control us. So if we really think about it, what are thoughts? So thoughts are these words and pictures inside of our head. Uh, in the world of psychology, we often, the, the term for thought is a cognition, but we're just going to call them thoughts. And, you know, I, I went to a training once where someone even broke down the hey, thoughts or these electrical impulses that pull from the conscious and subconscious of the brain and flash an image. Um, up onto the screen of our mind, you know, but what is a thought? There's so many different categories of thoughts, including um, beliefs and ideas, fantasies, memories, images, attitudes, assumptions, um, plans, visions, goals, values, dreams, desires, predictions, judgments, so on. So all of these different kind of thoughts, but no matter how complex our thoughts may be, Dr. Harris uh proclaims, they're all constructed from two basic building blocks, words and images. So... So if you really kind of think about that, you know, if you close your eyes, even just right now, um, I don't think I'll probably pause, but if you hit pause on your podcast uh, play button and just kind of notice what your mind's doing right now and just take, take, a, take a little look. Um, you might be hearing a voice and, and I'm not talking about from, you know, some sort of schizophrenia or personality disorder, uh, but you hear a voice or, you know, kind of hearing these negative thoughts or these words, or you're seeing some pictures or a combination of both. And I love how uh, Russ Harris says, if your mind goes blank, just wait for it. Because it won't take long before your mind says something like, I'm not having any thoughts, which is, of course, a thought. So go ahead and try that if you have a second. 
So what do you notice? You know, where, what is your, where does your mind go? What does it do? Does it show off? You know, um, and so Russ Harris says that uh, if you have these sensations or feelings in your body as opposed to the words and pictures, he would call those sensations or feelings. And, um, and I'll probably deal with those on, a, on another podcast. But so uh, no doubt, and I've talked about this in the past, you're, you've noticed that your mind can just pull thoughts out of, uh, out of everywhere, all kinds of thoughts, thoughts that you never even knew would come up. Um, happy thoughts, fun thoughts, uh, negative thoughts, inappropriate thoughts, scary thoughts, you name it. Um, if you just kind of sit back and think for a minute, how many thoughts does your mind create in the space of a day? And uh, Dr. Harris says hundreds of thousands, if not millions, and it never runs out. There's always something that, as he calls it, show and tell time for the mind. It's always got something to say or something to show us. And and I think this is kind of key to note for most, um, almost for everyone, as you undoubtedly notice your mind has a tendency to be negative. And that is 100%, it's normal and it's, it's just natural. The human mind is very quick to judge and criticize, compare, to point out what's not good enough and tell us what needs to be improved. And so even though we're bombarded daily with all of these messages of positive psychology, positive thinking, if you go back to the episode I did a while ago on The Happiness Trap, another book by Russ Harris, he kind of talks about how our human mind has evolved to think negatively. And just, I'll make it so fast, but you know, you kind of go back in the day and, and we basically had four basic needs. It was food and water and shelter and to reproduce. And so none of those things really matter if you are not alive. So the number one job your mind had to do, if you kind of trace it back, was to not get killed. You were The, the brain was a don't get killed device. So it was constantly looking for danger and constantly scanning the environment and trying to anticipate anything. You know, where's the, where's the, the saber-toothed tiger? Where's the animal? Where's the bear, the wolf, the, anything that is rival tribes, jealous neighbors? There were no shortage of things that the mind needed to be worried about. So, you know, there wasn't uh, an early human who went through life in a fearless and carefree manner, only just noticing the daisies and the sunshine around them. Because if that was the case, they would pretty quickly get trampled or murdered or, you know, and then they would have no chance to reproduce. And so their their brain, um, the brain just continued to evolve to be a, again, it's kind of like this don't get killed device. So, so what's kind of fascinating by that is, is our modern brains do the same. We're always trying to anticipate what could hurt us or harm us, even emotional pain. And so we have so many doubts and worries and concerns and we have fear of failure. And so it is not a sign. I love this about acceptance and commitment therapy. It's not a sign of a weak or a defective mind. It is a natural byproduct of, of the way that our minds have, have evolved over time. And it's why even if we just every day practice positive thinking every day of our lives, we still won't be able to stop our minds from generating negative thoughts. And that's okay. That's just something to be noted. And that's the part, even as I say that, you can tell I almost want to apologize for saying that because a lot of people are so surprised to hear that because we just get bombarded with these messages of positive thinking that if for some reason we're not thinking positive, that something's wrong with us. But again, Think of what a thought is. A thought is just going to pop up. A thought's just kind of coming from, you know, these images and words, those sort of things in our mind. And so, Grant, and, and trust me, we can learn to think a bit more positively. That just won't stop the negative thoughts from arising. I, I would consider myself an eternal optimist, but boy, the more the years I put into mindfulness work now, and sometimes when I can just sit back and watch my brain go, there's plenty of negative thoughts. And, uh, and you know, I, I did a, a podcast way back in the day about habit, creating new habits. And even to the point of where we now know this little basal ganglia, this little walnut-sized part of the brain that we call the habit center, is where we file away um, 
routine activities and thoughts so that our brain doesn't have to exert as much energy. It can kind of pull from this habit center, this basal ganglia, if you're trying to, you know, I don't know, walk or tie your shoes or that sort of thing. But, you know, what we've even learned there is that when we learn new things, we don't actually erase old mental tapes or delete old mental programs. Um, The latest discoveries in the world of neuroscience make it really clear the brain doesn't eliminate or eradicate old neural pathways. It lays down new ones on top of the old ones. So the more you use these new neural pathways, the more habitual your new patterns of thinking will become. But those old neural pathways won't disappear. So, you know, every now and again, something will trigger and you might just, it'll just kind of pop up. Here's this thought that I used to have that I thought I was able to get rid of. So, um, Russ Harris says it's a bit like cutting a new path in the forest. The more the new pathways use, the more established it becomes. But the old path doesn't cease to exist. If it gets used less often, the grass may grow over it to some degree, but it's still there and you can easily reclaim it. So, but again, um, the problem with that analogy, he says, is that it's it's easy to stop using an old pathway in the forest, but it's a billion times harder to stop using an old pathway in your brain. So he goes on to give another example of it's, uh, and I've never been very good at new languages. I studied uh, Fumfiara on the, univers- uh, on the Universität uh, of Deutsch, German, and I, that's how bad I spoke it. You just heard that. But when you, when you learn to speak a new language, no matter how fluent you become in the new language, your old language doesn't necessarily disappear. And no matter how well you learn to speak Spanish, you won't lose the ability to speak English. So let me kind of move on a little bit. I love, oh, let me pop, point this out too. One of the greatest positive psychologists um, in, in psychology, the world famous psychologist Martin Seligman provides a good example. He's the author of these huge books called Learned Optimism and Authentic Happiness. How are those for nice, happy titles, right? Um, and he is often referred to as the father of positive psychology. But one of the things that he admits is he says that even though he spent the last 20 years teaching people all around the world to think optimistically, as soon as he finds himself in a challenging situation, the first thing that pops into his head is a pessimistic thought. So think about that. Even the father of positive psychology recognizes that the first, when he is met with a challenge, the first thought in his head is a a pessimistic thought. So it is just a thought, right? Um, So, but now the the key becomes, what do we start to do with those? I want to do one more thing that I I just love this exercise. This is again found in the book, The Confidence Gap. It's called the Pop-Up Thoughts Exercise, and it was invented by Stephen Hayes, and he's one of the founders of Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Act. Uh, so I'm going to give you three well-known phrases, but in each case, the last word is going to be missing. And as I read the incomplete sentences, I want you to just notice what words pop into your head. And it's not a quiz. And I mean, I think you're going to see where I'm going here. I just want you to notice what pops into your head without any effort. Here goes. Children should be seen and not blank. Mary had a little blank. Blondes have more blank. Okay, so what happened? So if you grew up in the United States or uh, United Kingdom or Australia, Canada, New Zealand, or speaking English as your first language, then you probably popped into your head where um, children should be seen and not heard. Mary had a little lamb and blondes had more fun. So do you really believe those things? Do you believe that children should be um, seen and not heard or that there really was a girl literally named Mary who had a lamb that actually followed her to school or that blondes actually, it is a fact that they do have fun, uh, more fun than people with other hair color. So I'm betting the answer in each of those cases is no. But now, let me, this is what I love about this exercise. So now suppose I told you to eliminate all of those word sequences from your mind. Just get rid of them so under no circumstances do those specific sequences of words ever pop up again inside your head. Right? See where I'm going here? Um, Could you do that? No. We can pretty much guarantee that when somebody says Mary had a little, the word lamb is going to pop inside your head. Your mind is full of these things that just, these automatic responses. Uh, in the confidence gap, he goes on to throw a few more out there. Every cloud has a blank. 
Diamonds are a girl's blank. Plenty more fish in the blank. You only use 10% of blank. So just as the word lamb pops up when we encounter the phrase Mary had a little, this is the key. Here's how we tie this all together. Negative thoughts will pop up whenever we encounter a genuinely challenging situation. So like it or not, as soon as we even think about stepping outside of our comfort zones, our minds are likely to tell us those same old stories, the, the ones that have been they've been telling us forever, ever since we were little kids. Um, the ones that, okay, you're probably going to mess this up or remember what happened last time or you're not good enough, you're not ready. Uh, it's it's going to be too difficult. It's too hard. And just we bundle all these thoughts up into one big story that uh, Dr. Harris calls the, the I can't do it story. So think about that. L- look at that concept. So if we already start to do something that is outside of our comfort zone and immediately we have this Mary had a little lamb like response, our immediate response is like, that's too hard. I can't do that. Okay. Just note that. Just be aware of that. Um Dr. Harris mentions this, and I have to tell you, I've had the same experience of over the last, uh, gosh, I don't know, decade or more. I've literally, I've worked with doctors and lawyers and police officers and business executives and CEOs and psychologists and counselors and therapists and coaches and psychiatrists and athletes and entrepreneurs everywhere. And, And if you ask the question, is there anybody in this room who can honestly raise their hand and say they do not have some version of the I can't do it story? And as as Dr. Harris mentions, and I've had the same experience, I've never had somebody that uh, has raised their hand and said, I've never had the I can't do it story. So if you can't stop your mind from telling you the I can't do it story, then what are you supposed to do, right, when the story shows up? The three most common solutions in the confidence gap that they talk about are, number one, you would challenge or dispute the thoughts or look for evidence to prove they're not true. Or two, you'd replace them with more positive thoughts. Or three, you would distract yourself from the thoughts. And and I'm sure here's the thing. We've probably all done those things. However, given that those are the solutions that almost everybody will suggest, that you probably already tried them. And if you have tried them, undoubtedly, you've recognized that they, you know, they can require a lot of effort. Or um, even if they do, if you do them, you'll get a little bit of relief for the negative thoughts. But then remember, your mind just kind of keeps coming up with these things. And then when you do then leave your comfort zone for a really challenging situation, then all of a sudden those just, hey, just think something better techniques don't quite work. And so, so what's the alternative then? So the alternative really is this concept of acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, it, it is this, this concept of just recognizing the thoughts for what they are. They, they, they really are thoughts. Just a thought is a thought is a thought. So, and I, and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go a little bit more into this in a future episode because I've just been asked to do as much as I can about acceptance and commitment therapy and I am happy to oblige. But, but next time we'll kind of talk a little bit more about are negative thoughts even really a problem? Um, I, I just let me kind of give you a little bit of a, of a heads up. Uh, that is that, you know, one of these common ideas is that the negative thoughts are problematic because our thoughts control our actions. I've even said that a whole lot of times. But as Dr. Harris points out, if this were true, we'd all be in trouble. So how often have you got so mad at somebody that you thought about hurting them or yelling at them or shaking them or leaving them or getting back at them? And imagine if those thoughts actually had controlled you and if you had actually gone and done all those hurtful things. I mean, this goes back to one of those uh, early episodes where I kind of talked about inappropriate thought syndrome, where we all have those thoughts. um, But the second part of that is just because we have those thoughts doesn't mean that we are going to act upon them. And number three, the part that is really kind of uh, interesting is that thought suppression doesn't work. So every time you tell yourself don't have the thought, I always say that your brain has a little sign that pops up and says, what, this one? You know, this thought? Um, but so now there's, there's a ton of, of wonderful scientific studies published in top peer reviewed psychology journals that show acceptance and commitment therapy helps people build rich, meaningful lives, even in the face of such serious conditions as depression and schizophrenia, drug addiction, anxiety disorders. Um, you know, I've used it with sports psychology and business, 
But it, it here because here's what it does: it reduces the stress, increasing fulfillment, enhancing performance. But it makes no effort to reduce, challenge, or eliminate or change negative thoughts because it starts from the assumption that negative thoughts aren't inherently the problem. So, you know, where does that leave us? It's basically in the therapist's office. It's really about it's not that it is that thought um, true or false because you know our our brain is just pumping those thoughts out all the time. Really, the question becomes, what do you do with that thought? Is that thought productive? Um, in the confidence gap, Russ Harris talks about workability. Uh, he says that, and I'll, and I'll end with this. He says one of the most important words in acceptance and commitment therapy is workability. He says that this word deep into your brain as it underpins everything that you do in acceptance and commitment therapy. The term workability arises from the simple question, is what you're doing working to help you create a richer, fuller, more meaningful life? If the answer is yes, then what you're doing is workable. If it's no, then what you're doing is unworkable. So, you know, there's uh, the concept of workability can kind of help us get unhooked from our thoughts. So and then hopefully kind of empower you to take effective action and really start to be that person that you want to be. Um, coming up down the road in a future episode, I also want to talk about the, the big component of acceptance and commitment therapy really is identifying your core values or your goals or beliefs, kind of as I opened up the episode with. So if, if a thought is workable, it is in line with those core values or thoughts or goals. Okay, I, I went so much longer than I anticipated, and I apologize about that, but I love this stuff. Acceptance and commitment therapy will literally... Um, just free you from a lot of these just negative thoughts. It does require, and we can talk about this down the road, and I've already given a bunch of podcasts where I mentioned this, but it does require some sort of a mindfulness practice. I would highly encourage you to, um, to there's an app called Headspace. There's an app called Calm. Uh, I have, uh, there's a couple of things. There's actually a good um, exercise in the acceptance and commitment therapy book that I'll talk about called Leaves in a Stream. So I'll try to get to that next time as well. But it will feel a bit hokey at first. I know that it was that way for me uh, doing some sort of daily mindfulness practice, basically kind of getting your your you know in through the nose, out through the mouth breathing, which kind of lowers the heart rate, which uh, is going to get rid of any of those fight or flight uh, chemicals, the adrenaline out of your out of your brain, out of your body, and it's going to allow you to then get centered or focused with a nice little body scan, back against the chair, feet on the ground, that sort of thing. At times, a mindfulness practice will then kind of just let your thoughts go wherever they want, and then it'll bring you back to the breathing, back to the breath. Where at that point, if you're really focusing on in through the nose, out through the mouth, you're not thinking about other things other than the breathing. And, and it is you are exercising that brain muscle. You're basically teaching your brain that when you are starting to go down the rosy path um, neg of negative thoughts, then you can just kind of go back to the breathing. When you catch yourself just kind of thinking of these unworkable, unproductive thoughts, you're able to bring yourself back to the present, back to the in the moment. And again, for if you haven't done it, I know it can sound super hokey or goofy. I always joke that I need to get some mats in my room, my therapy room, and throw on my robe and clip on a ponytail, which is really funny because of the fact that I'm bald whenever I'm starting to talk about this mindfulness practice. But I've been doing it for years, and it just it adds so much more to be able to put a pause between your thought and your action or to be able to not chase those negative thoughts that might have gotten you down for days or weeks or, you know, maybe even for years in your life. But so it does require a daily mindfulness practice of some sort. There's a lot of cool studies that show that about eight weeks of eight minutes a day of mindfulness start to change the neuropathways of the brain. And I can testify to that, that you will, your brain gets really good at when you kind of notice that you're, that you're going down a, a path of unworkable thoughts 
or unproductive thoughts that you can kind of bring yourself back to the present and just recognize that's just a thought. I've got so many of them coming after this that uh, I'm not going to really attach to that one. So, hey, I could keep going on and on, but thank you so much for spending the time learning a little bit more about acceptance and commitment therapy. Uh, Feel free to continue to send all of your questions to um, contact at tonyoverbay.com. And what did we learn today? We learned in that act in a nutshell experience of the act, the play that I did, that we all kind of have this this clipboard that we're holding on to with all we can. We push against it. It pushes back. We put it up in front of our face. We just don't want to let go of all those thoughts and emotions and those things that have kind of kept us stuck. And so we're not saying you have to throw it down on the ground because if we do that, I feel like the clipboard just bounces right back up and those thoughts and emotions just come right back up to us. But let's just kind of set it down in our lap a little bit, free up our hands and our vision and our minds so that we can start to do a little bit more work, that we can start to clarify what our core values, goals, and beliefs are, and that we can start to look at it. Go back and look at that, uh, that pop-up exercise, that pop-up thought exercise. If Mary had a little lamb is so ingrained um, at this point in our lives, isn't that negative story that I can't do it story, isn't that too also ingrained? And we need to learn that, again, that's just this automatic response, these thoughts. And, and are they workable? Are they productive? It, it, probably not. How's that working for you right now? So acceptance and commitment therapy act is going to teach us how to just move through those thoughts and stay with the productive ones so that we can the take action toward those core values, cores or uh, goals and beliefs. Again, I think I've probably said it about three times now. I'm done. I'll talk to you later. Uh, now for the lovely, the talented, the guest of the virtual couch, couch podcast, Aurora Florence, taking it away with it's wonderful. Compressed emotions flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is wonderful. Elastic waste and rubber ghost are floating past the midnight hour. They push aside the things that matter most. Heal the legs and hearts you broke the pain it's
soul Upon my mental strengths and 